Hello and welcome to an Inform Live Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to CHDTV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. So glad to be here. So glad to have been born at a time of history where revolution is happening. Peaceful, wonderful, healthful, necessary revolution, a spiritual revolution. And I know that sounds odd to say right now when it seems like every time you turn around, something really crazy is happening that seems to be stealing our health and our freedom. But these problems have been systemic for a very long time. And the silver lining of the COVID chaos has been an awakening of the human spirit to the values and and, and need for freedom. And here we are. Um, We still have to deal with a lot of problems, but in dealing with those problems, we're going to create amazing solutions that generations forward will thank us for. So we're going to have a positive spirit. Um, With me today is the co-host, Javier Figueroa. Welcome, Javier. Dr. X, as we call him. Hello, Bernadette. (laughs) How are you today? Uh, Doing great. How about yourself? Good, good. Yeah, beautiful day here in Tennessee. Um, How are things? Are you getting any warmth yet? (laughs) (laughs) Depends on where you are. Uh, I'm sure that over in uh, Spokane, it's plenty warm, but over here has just been, we just had a, a rolling thunderstorm come over last night and it just dumped water. I love thunderstorms. We had one too, but then the sky broke open and then, you know, the clouds parted and then it was 85 degrees and, and all dried out. So <laughs> that's the difference, I guess. And then, um, and then of course, and then of course, Nathan says penny sized hail as well. Penny sized hail. Yes. Yeah. That's, I, I love weather. I love nature. Late Nate, when nature gets big and loud, it helps put man back where we belong, gives us some perspective. We are not king of the universe, yep. right? And we need to respect and honor nature. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So um, Javier, we are going to be bringing on some fantastic people from Washington State, some very bold and courageous people. They are with COVID-19 Vaccine Injured of Washington. Um, and so I want to give them as much time as possible. So I'm going to go ahead and begin pulling them on so they can all be here with us. We've got Lindsay, um, Lindsay Burmeister. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Bernadette. Thank you so much for having us today. Oh, thank you for being here. And then we also have Rachel and Jen. So uh, welcome, Rachel and Jen. So we don't usually have such a, a big panel. So I will try to direct the conversation so everybody gets um, a chance. So, but I'll let you say hi. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you so much for this. So, Lindsay, let me begin with you because <laughs> what you have done is so important in forming this organization. So um, go ahead and, and tell us a little bit about um Maybe your COVID journey and what led you to for, to this organization that you belong to. Oh, gosh. 
starting back to my COVID journey. Um, well, I was uh, vaccinated on March 18, 2021. So it's been over a year now for me. Um, and it took me about six months of having, you know, this, this, these acute <clears throat> neurological issues, um, kind of suffering on my own, trying to find help or support online. It took me about six months before I finally connected to a group of um, injured individuals. They had neurological injuries due to the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, so Lindsay, yeah, it took could, sorry to interrupt, but could I ask you like for a few specifics so that listeners kind of understand the health issues you were dealing with mm -hmm. when you say neurological? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I got my vaccine, um, I didn't really notice anything unusual about my reaction until day seven. And at day seven, my um, the injection site started twitching uncontrollably. And then I had numbness and tingling down my left arm. Actually, that twitching of the injection site lasted for uh, about a month. Um, and then I, I had sort of this articulated nerve pain on the underside of my left arm. Um, I could not really feel my pinky. Or have, I didn't have any feeling in my pinky or my index finger. Um, and I started kind of having mobility issues with that hand. So I went to uh, my PCP. I was very concerned, obviously, because these vaccines were really new and I didn't know what was happening to me. Um, she said, you know, you're having your vaccine reaction. It's probably inflammation. You know, take some Advil rest and then if anything gets worse at all give us a call um so unfortunately then um, the numbness and tingling spread to my bilateral bilateral extremities um i started having shooting pains up my legs um it almost felt like fireworks were going mm -hmm. off in my legs um i started having mobility issues went to the hospital um in early april and um they admitted me overnight. They did an MRI of my brain and spine, and they found inflammation throughout my brain and um, some inflammation in my spine as well. And then from there, it's just been a cascade of, you know, numerous autonomic and neurological issues going on with me. Um, I have, you know, so much pain on a daily basis. Um, in the acute phase, I was had suffered from severe fatigue, inability to sleep, um, you know, tinnitus, just constant ringing in my ears. Um, again, numbness and tingling, tremors, twitching. My hands um, would be tremoring. Um, yeah, just multiple, half of my hair fell out. It was just, I didn't wow. feel my body anymore. Wow. And all along the way, did the, um, did the doctors and nurses you were dealing with acknowledge that this was as a result of the vaccine? Um, more or less, yes. So because of the temporal relationship, you know, doctors are always very cautious to put that in your notes. Mm -hmm. But um, to me in person, yes, they were acknowledging that this is a vaccine injury. And I was directed not to get the second vaccine um, mm -hmm. by multiple providers, actually by two, two of my neurologists told me. One of them said, do not ever get the vaccine again. And, and do not ever, ever allow your kids to get this vaccine. Um, so yeah. yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, and then I want you to finish, but real quick, were you able to locate your report on VAERS? Did you file with VAERS or did your doctor file with VAERS? Um, so I had filed with VAERS. My doctor, my neurologist was going to put in, in the report on my behalf, but I had already put in my report on VAERS. Yes. Okay. And my report was on VAERS last I checked, which okay. was a while like six months ago, but I got a report number and everything. Okay, very good. And so then f you reached out to others um, for emotional, moral support. 
Um, and then to start working together to find solutions? Yeah, so that was really slow going. Um, for a long time, I felt extremely isolated. I was going, like I said, through that acute phase where I wasn't sure if I was going to survive, um, really all by myself. And so um, I would go online and I couldn't find any support groups available. You know, there was nothing. It was also heavily censored. Um, so it took many, many months for me to finally find um, a large group of, of COVID-19 vaccine injured. Um, it's a Facebook group that has, I don't know, maybe over 10,000 um, people in the group at this point. Um, and it was just, honestly, it brought me to tears because I saw all these people and they were me. So, mm. so yeah, pretty moving for me after being alone for so long. Wow. And this wow. is this is very typical tactic for any industry: asbestos, radiation, cars, uh, you know, uh, bad products. They always try and make sure that people can't find one of the talk. Mm. So, I mean, from a point, you know, from the point of view of a manufacturer, that's the first thing they want to do is find a way to get people to stop talking to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And the vaccine industry has done this since I forget 1950s, 60s. I forget when they div began dividing lots, batch yes. lots, and spreading them out. So they, if there was a hot lot, there wouldn't be a group of people in one area to draw notice. Exactly. Um, yeah. They learned their lesson from from polio. <laughs> yeah. So, well, thank you for that. I'm going to go ahead and um, and then move over to Jen. Um, if you could tell us sort of your your journey, if you would. Sure, and thank you for having us. We appreciate it. Um, so I'm 35 years old. I've always been really, really healthy, really outdoorsy. I love fly fishing, camping, uh, you know, doing anything in the outdoors that's active. And I've actually worked from home for the last eight years. So I really didn't have a risk of being exposed to COVID necessarily. I was socially distanced already in life. Uh, so I decided to get the vaccine just because I wanted to help end the pandemic. And I thought it was, you know, safe for me at the time. All my family members had been vaccinated. They didn't have issues at the time. And uh, I had actually joined a vaccine experience Facebook group so I could watch to see if there were any concerning side effects in anyone else. There were 35,000 people in this group. So I figured something would pop up if if there was an issue with the vaccine. Um, I didn't see anything like that. So I moved forward and got my first shot on in March of 2021. And two weeks after my first shot, I actually developed appendicitis, had to go to the hospital and have emergency surgery. Um, that wasn't fun. And I'm ashamed to say at the time, I hadn't attributed the appendicitis to the first shot. So I actually consulted with two separate doctors after my surgery and asked them if I should move forward and get my second shot. I was just concerned about getting a vaccine so close to having emergency surgery, and they said it would be fine. So I moved forward and received my second shot. Two weeks after my second shot, I actually ended up having a mini stroke, and I was left with a lot of neurological issues after that, a lot of paresthesia, severe brain fog. I forgot how to do my job. I've worked in biotechnology for 10 years. Um, it was very, very hard. I suffered for very, like uh, many, many months. Um, and I found support groups fairly quickly, but I can imagine just suffering alone and thinking you're the only one is a very difficult thing to go through. But that's, mm -hmm. 
that's my short story. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I had a bunch of questions. I should have written them down because then as I was listening, um, uh, I did not. Oh, I guess one of the, I believe appendicitis is uh, reported frequently. Um, mm -hmm. to VARES as an adverse reaction. And um, I don't blame you for not connecting it. Who would think that appendicitis could, was a vaccine reaction? That isn't anything that anybody has ever discussed before, right? Um, but now we're learning, of course, that the mRNA um, particles um, and the RNA from the J&J, &J, but obviously if you had two doses, you got one of the mRNAs, they traveled to all the organs. Um, and so, you know, these sort of reactions are biologically plausible. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, Rachel, hi, can you hear us? Are we back connected hi. again? Yay. Um, yes. if, if you, is it convenient for you to turn your camera a little bit so we can see you wide? Um, but if not, don't worry about it. If it's not convenient, there you go. It snapped up and now we can there see we you full. Thanks. <laughs> so could we hear from you then um, your journey with the COVID shot? Yeah, so actually, um, first, thank you so much for having us. Um, I'm not here to tell my story, but my sisters, um, my sister Katie is 32 years old. She's a mother of two, a stay-at-home mom. She has a 13-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of August, she received the Pfizer vaccine. Um, she just went to a Rite Aid and left within five minutes. And within an hour, uh, her face and feet were numb. She couldn't feel her tongue or her nose. Um, her arms and legs were weak. She had ringing in her ears. And just over the next three weeks, um, her symptoms worsened. She was experiencing vertigo and um, tinnitus and um, hyperacusis, which is the pain with sound. And so three weeks after her vaccine, she went to the ER for the first time. Um, you know, they couldn't find anything wrong, told her it was anxiety. And um, she struggled for months. Uh, over the next three months, she saw uh, several ENTs, different ENTs, a neurologist, a radiologist, um, several visits to her PCP, um, several visits to the ER. Um, she, after her last neurology appointment was in December, um, and the neurologist just completely gaslighted her, um, just made her feel really defeated. And she kind of gave up for a little while on seeking any kind of treatment. She, um, she had to move out of her house. Uh, she was staying in her, um, travel trailer and just kind of moving from place to place. She even rented a cabin, uh, about an hour away from us, uh, in Darrington. Uh, where it was a little quieter because the environmental noise, road noise, um, dogs, kids, lawnmowers, all those things are just excruciating. And um, really hadn't uh, made any progress or improvements until uh, very recently. She, um, she saw a naturopath uh, back at the end of March and... Um, her iron was extremely low, so she started iron infusions. She actually just had her second one two days ago. Um, but she um, 
saw her endocrinologist. She has type one diabetes. And when she saw her doctor and told her everything that she had been going through for the past 10 months, um, she actually, well, acknowledged her injuries, believed her and told her that she had two colleagues at the UW who had a similar reaction and that she would reach out to her colleagues and um, see if there was someone that she could refer her to that would specialize in something like this. So she does have a referral uh, to the UW um, to, for an ENT that um, he's on a national discussion forum with the latest information on COVID and COVID vaccine relating to inner ear. Uh, but her appointment's not until July. Uh, they did start her on a steroid that seems to be helping, but it's a... Uh, from what from what we've read and what we've seen, it's a, a band aid for mm -hmm. for her symptoms. Um, okay, they ha it has helped a bit, but um, wow! Thank you for sharing that and um, and being a spokesperson for your sister and being such great support to her. Um, a lot of the injuries that you described, you know, we've heard a lot of those. Obviously, those are being reported. Well, sort of behind the scenes, they're not making headline news, but the very fact that two individuals who were colleagues at the University of Washington in the medical arena had the same symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Dr. Um, Dr. Poland, I forget, I've gone blank on his first name, the famous vaccine researcher, editor of Vaccine Journal, um, he got the tinnitus, very severe, you know, life altering. And I think he still is impacted by that. So with, with the individuals who really are in that whole arena suffering as well, maybe we will get some treatments, some action, some solutions. I would hope we would get withdrawal of these products from the market and people held accountable because as the, the Pfizer documents are beginning to reveal the ones that were got via FOIA by a judge ordering the release, we are seeing that it was known that these injuries would occur. So I am so grateful to you guys for coming forward, for sharing your stories, um, being a support. And I want individuals to know, I'll go ahead and share the website here and show people where it is. Um, let's see, I'll do it on my tab, COVID vaccine injured. So the website is COVID vaccine injured wa.com. Actually, they, they can reach out going to um, cviwa.org. Also, it's just a little easier for your audience. Cviwa.org will take them there. Cviwa.org. Okay, yeah. wonderful. Cviwa.org. Um, you guys did a, a great job. It's a beautiful, nice, clean looking website that, you know, I know you're, it's new and you'll be populating it with more information, but people can go there and, um, and contact you and you're beginning to take action, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, bef before we, uh, okay, go back here, uh, before we go on and ask you more questions about this, what I would like to do is there's another member of your organization, Pam, that was actually chosen, chosen. She signed up to give public comment at a recent CDC, 
um, ACIP meeting. That's the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. And they supposedly a lottery. I don't know how much of that is, but but they did choose um, Pam to give public comment. And um, thank you, Lindsay, for supplying the clip for that. So I'm going to go ahead and share this file for people if I can get it to work. Let's see, desktop, there it is, and see, okay. Hopefully it'll play. Somebody let me know if you're not hearing it once it gets started. It should be going. Yes, I'm here. Okay, thank you, please go ahead. Hello, I want to acknowledge to the committee that I attest that I have no financial conflicts of interest. My name is Pam Kavanaugh. I am a mother, grandmother, and I'm COVID vaccine injured. I have multiple neurological issues from Moderna vaccine I received in March of 2021. I reported over 32 symptoms and I've seen over 26 medical providers. I reported my injury to theirs and I have heard nothing back from them. In my search for healing, I have come across many other individuals with debilitating neurological adverse reactions to the COVID vaccine products. I am one of the founder, founding members of the COVID vaccine injured of Washington State or CVI of Washington. We are an independent nonpartisan group of COVID vaccine injured individuals who are advocating for acknowledgement of the injured in Washington state. We have met with the offices of several members of Congress in our state and have done multiple media interviews in respected publications and medical journals such as the British, British Medical Journal. Due to the intentional suppression of our reactions by the CDC, FDA, and social media outlets, the injured are unable to find support and access essential medical care. There is no funding for research, and there is no recovery plan or financial support available for us because the COVID vaccine products are not eligible for the VICP program, unlike every other vaccine on the market. As of May 1st, the CICP has received 5,033 injuries or death claims from the COVID vaccine products and has yet to pay out a single cent. By contrast, Thailand's National Health Security Office reports compensating over 14,000 people around $50 million to settle COVID vaccine injury claims. Again, by contrast, the U.S. has paid out nothing. We were asked to protect others by getting this vaccine only to find out there is no support or protection for us in return. We can't even get acknowledgement. The total vaccine injury filed for VAERS database as of May 6, 2020 was 856,340. And we know that only one to 10% of injuries are reported to that system. CDC, we need you to acknowledge us. Without the acknowledgement from the CDC of our injuries, proof of causation cannot be met. In many cases, doctors refuse to believe us or treat us. Without your acknowledgement of our injuries, trusting parents will continue to vaccinate their children not knowing the possibilities of the real horrible adverse side reactions that are being suppressed. Taking care of people who have been injured by the COVID vaccine is simply the right thing to do. It should not be a polarized issue. Information from our organization, or if you're a COVID vaccine injured in Washington State, please visit cviwa.org. Thank you. So proud of her. That was so well delivered. And my gosh, down to the nanosecond, she squeezed <laughs> in every bit. Uh, good for her. Um, 
Yeah, and not being acknowledged. And, you know, Javier and I have talked on the show about the fact that here our government funded, spent billions, trillions, pushing out these shots, marketing the shots. Not one tiny cent was spent to try to find ways to help people they knew were going to be injured. And, and as the information begins to be revealed about what, what was known about the shots before they released, what the CDC and FDA even suspected because it was presented to them in slideshows. We have that as far back as, um, you know, when the shots were first released, we put out, look at what, look at what they're looking for, but they did not pass on what they knew to look for, such as your symptoms to ER doctors, to, you know, clinics, to the places where, you know, who would be, where you'd be showing up asking questions. They were not told. The only thing that the doctors were told is to watch out for anaphylaxis and let them sit there for 15 minutes. And if they don't faint, then they're good to go home. That's all they were told. And it's just unconscionable. So yes, changes um, must happen. These are systemic problems that existed pre-COVID. They ha- they existed with all the other childhood vaccines because no money is being spent on helping vaccine-injured children from any um, vaccine. So Jen, I'm told you're the one who knows a lot about CICP, the Countermeasures Compensation Program. Are you the one? That's actually that's actually Rachel. She's oh, Rachel. Okay, Rachel. Yay. Oh, good. And we could just see her whole face that we kind of slipped into cutting the top of your head off. So sorry about that. <laughs> so go ahead. Could you tell us about the um, CICP and what you know about the countermeasures um, program? <clears throat> just that it's really um, an obscure program. Um Comparing it to the VICP, um, the well, with the CICP, there have been um, 8,010 COVID countermeasure claims. Um, over 5,000 of those are alleging injury or death from the COVID vaccine, and there has not been a single payout. Um, there's another 3,000 um, injuries or deaths just from COVID countermeasures um, filed with the CICP, and none of those have been paid either, but um, there's just a lot of, a lot of short fallings with the CICP. There's um, a cap on, on payouts. They only reimburse for uh, medical expenses and any loss of income. Uh, Whereas with the VICP, which is the, the vaccine um, injury compensation program that all the other vaccines are covered under, um, they pay past and future uh, medical custodial rehabilitation um, claims. Uh, they pay for all that care without limits, um, just based on the need for care, uh, up to $250,000 for actual and projected pain and suffering. Uh, there's no pain and suffering with the CICP. Um, it's an administrative process. So um, I actually, I read in a, a really good article that the Seattle Times posted um, that there are four employees at the CICP and they are just really overwhelmed with the yeah. amount of cases filed um, since since 2020. And um, 
And and considering that we've gotten more than a million reports to VARES, and I forget how what percentage of those are very serious, it's very clear that most people have no idea about the CICP and that they can file there. But like you said, it's very limited. And there's a one-year statute of limitations. If you have a certain injury, it has to be last at least six months. If you're hospitalized, you have to have, have had surgery, I believe. Anyway, the, the parameters are very narrow. And one of the biggest hurdles to even filing is the fact that they will not pay any legal fees to help you file. Correct. Right? And, and it's... And that could be cost prohibitive for most people that they can't afford the help they need to try to present their medical case to even and just as bad as the high burden of proof. You have to have mm-hmm. medical and scientific mm-hmm. evidence that the vaccine caused the injury, but without any acknowledgement of causation, you're right. kind of stuck. There's when, no countermeasure table for the COVID vaccines mm-hmm. to follow right. and And nobody, well, there are some independent scientists doing some studies to find mechanisms of injury um, of the the various shots. Um, But you're right, there's no major research being done in order to be able to have that proof. Uh, It's all having to be created by people volunteering their time, stepping up, stepping away from their usual lives and working outside the system. But whether or not that will help um, is, you know. Well, and so in order to alleviate the uh, the fact that most people don't know what the CICP is, what does CICP stand for? Countermeasure Injury Compensation Program. And where could you go to the website? Do you know, or is that something that's on uh, CVI law? Uh, we, so, to find the CICP data, it's, yeah. uh, I believe it's hrsa.org. It's if you look up CICP data, it come it'll come it right come up. up. Okay. Can, yeah. We can also throw that link up on our website as well. Great. Oh, very good. Yeah. I, I know I've got a post on Informed Choice Washington somewhere with it, um, but I haven't looked at it in a while, but I just now found it. So I'm going to share real quick and so we can read off of it just a little bit. I just found it, countermeasures. You were right, the HRSA, Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, CICP for short. Um, There it is. And so this goes into place when there's an emergency. So if they're pushing out an emergency product, a shot, a drug, um, any countermeasure in an emergency situation, um, uh, the, the federal government grants... Let me stop sharing here. The federal government uh, grants this immunity protection um, to manufacturers, distributors, people who administer these products, deliver these products. And with COVID, of course, the shots are covered by this emergency declaration um, and the PREP Act and the Emergency Preparedness Act. But so are masks. If you get pneumonia from your mask, Nobody's to blame. The manufacturer, not not the person who told you you had to wear it, you know, all of that stuff. And remdesivir and Javier, do you know the other two drugs that are emergency authorized um, as a countermeasure? Um, I don't remember. Yeah. And of course, the reason why ivermectin is being shunned by hospitals is because it's not 
under the PREP Act. And so it doesn't give them money. It doesn't have, it's not under their, their PREP shield. So they created this, this compensation fund years ago. It's barely been used. Um, uh, claims have been filed for flu shots, I believe, in the past. Um, but, you know, they work very hard not to pay out. The VICP, too, even though the VIC, the Vaccine Injury Protection Program, which is for all vaccines recommended by the CDC for children, and thanks to the 21st Century Cures Act a few years ago, pregnant women and their unborn children, the shot recommended to them, you can't sue the manufacturer, can't sue the doctor, everybody is um, covered. And it's interesting that pregnant women and the unborn children are covered, even though the F FDA has not licensed a single vaccine for use in pregnancy for protection of the infant. It's being marketed to pregnant women off-label by the CDC. That's just a little aside. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so, the C so you guys realize, so are you behind supporting trying to move COVID-19 shots over to the VICP, which is slightly better. Is mm -hmm. that your hope? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the one of the things that we're advocating for. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not ideal, but it's certainly much better than the CICP program. So we don't have any legislation drafted at this point. If there's any attorneys out there that want to reach out to us that have experience in that, we would love to work with you. Um, but right now, we're advocating um, with you know, members of uh, legislation and just letting them know how deficient the CICP program is and, and sharing our stories. Awareness is the first step, getting people to know that there is a problem. Um, and the sooner they stop pushing these shots, the sooner we can kind of put an end stop to the harm. <laughs> because otherwise, you're just going to keep adding people who need to be compensated their injuries and helped. So let's just stop the nonsense. I had a real quick question. So currently, I mean, how many, what's the estimate or the current count that you have uh, of people visiting your site, uh, you know, posting that they, they, they're vaccine injured? Mm. So um, our, so our membership, we have about 50 members in Washington state. Um, we have, we're, all of us are part of a, a national group um, that's a support group and that that's in, in like the 10,000s for neurological issues and um, other COVID vaccine injuries. But our state group that we've just fairly recently started, we've got about uh, 50 members and then we have seven, seven of us that are uh, board members. Yeah, I did want to talk to some statistics as far as like how many injured we think there are in Washington. So if you look yes. at the VARES data, just based on how many people have been vaccinated and then look at the population of Washington and how many people have been vaccinated with which vaccine, we're actually anticipating that there should be 148 injuries for every 100,000 people, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you add it up, that's a lot of people. So that's one reason why we're just trying to get the word out there is there are groups where we can offer you support, whether you just need to talk to somebody else who's injured. Um, if you're looking for certain doctors specifically in Washington that believe you, we need everyone to come together because right now on social media, there's a lot of censorship happening. And I've had people referred to me, a friend of a friend of a friend. And the more we can get just the word out there, there is a group in Washington that's willing to work with you and listen to you and advocate for you. 
Thank you. That is so important. And I also wanted to share with you guys, I'll pop on over to Informed Choice Washington's website. <clears throat> we do have a tab called Recovery. And if you click on that, I'm, we're trying to keep posted um, some of the best recovery protocols that are being put together. Um, and there's an article by Dr. Joseph Mercola, who's been in the vaccine injury recovery movement for decades. Uh, information from COVIDCon and beyond the conference. And there's some videos you can go watch about that. That's Dr. Henry Ely. He's in Oregon. He's such a gifted healer. Um, and when he was on the show recently, he was talking about the order of, of healing treatments is important because at first you, you have to sort of stabilize the body to be receptive and able to handle some recovery protocols. So he's finding out that order is important. And then there's a great um, spike protein detox that um, is a great article there um, from the World Council for Health. And then I also encourage people to go to the FLCCC, the Frontline Critical Care Alliance, uh, Dr. Paul Merrick, Dr. Pierre Corey, flccc.net. They have moved really actively into the vaccine injury recovery. This is their key focus now is recovering um, individuals. And I'm just so applaud them. And just as with their, their COVID treatment protocols, they're not coming up with something and saying, okay, this is it. They're continuing to evolve it. Um, just as COVID is complicated and every patient is different, COVID recovery is different, or the, uh, COVID shot recovery, the journey may be different. One medication, one treatment, one protocol might help one person, but it won't help the next. And they understand that, that medicine needs to be individualized. So I encourage people to go to flccc.net um, and look for their recovery protocols that they're working on and, and join them too. So how are we doing on time? Um, Javier, what questions do you have for? Um, and just, uh, it's, it's again, always with the grassroots where it begins and people finding one another and fighting together. And the lower estimate, I mean, you provided an estimate of about 145,000, 145 entries per 100,000 uh, patients. I think that's uh, an underestimate, uh, a substantial underestimate. So, you know, we probably in Washington state, there's well over 2,000 or 5,000 people living with injuries that may or may not know that we're injured by the, that vaccine. And that's the problem. That's the major yeah. problem. And so as part of the, uh, as part of your, your mission that you're now uh, pushing forward with, um, have you, have you guarded support uh, from uh, the medical community? Are there some doctors that are willing to come forth and say, we believe you, we think that there's enough evidence to, to highlight this problem? Jen, do you want to speak to that? <clears throat> yeah, I can speak to that. So obviously I got injured very early on. We actually all, we all did. We're all very close as far as when we got injured. Um, I've noticed a shift over the last year and a half where initially the doctors I went to they were undereducated about this. Uh, they didn't believe me. They said the vaccine couldn't do this to me, of course. And one frustrating thing is after my trip to the ER, where it took me months and months, by the way, to get diagnosed that I had a mini stroke, 
Um, I came back, I got second and third opinions. I went to eight different doctors and got a lot of testing done. And I came back with labs that proved that I had a mini stroke and they put it on my record a year later. Um, But back then, and it still does happen. They like to secretly diagnose you with anxiety. I went back and I looked at my medical chart a few days after I went to the hospital and in the doctor's notes, it said anxiety. And I've never had anxiety in my life. I still don't, despite everything I've been through the last year. Um, But I also have a mission to educate these doctors and not just leave them in the dust. So I've been going back with studies that have been you know, published for many years, or even new studies. I understand the medical community, they don't have the time to do a bunch of research in their off hours, what off hours they do get. So there have been some doctors that are very receptive. My PCP is one who, in the beginning, they refused to even draw my blood for a doctor that was willing to help me, who, by the way, was 3,000 miles away. Um, And now they actually believe me. They reach out to me asking for more studies that I find. So I do have a mission to go back and I always want to leave something better than what I found it because anyone who comes after me who's vaccine injured, I need them to have a better experience than me. It's a very slow process and it takes a lot of effort and a lot of reading scientific journals. But I do have some hope because some doctors have come around and the ones that aren't coming around, I just fire them. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. You you are both tough and tender, you know? You've got grace in your heart, but you're not taking any stuff off of Thank anybody. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, I love that. Very good. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Go no, ahead, I, Javier. I just wanted to, you know, the, the fact that you're you're all fighting either for your for your own uh, recovery and also for the recovery of others. Um, in in terms of the community, I remember very early on that the conversation was why you know the or at least the pressure point was you know do this for others. Um, and there was a huge wall when you said no or I've been injured. And uh, has that, have you noticed a softening or at least a, a willingness by the community to actually say, well, let's maybe, maybe you guys are onto something. Cause it was very, uh, it's, it's, it's like sounding strikingly similar to the Lyme disease outbreak and mm-hmm. fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's I, what your experience has been. I think from my personal experience, um, there are some people that were resistant to my story that that I've noticed are starting to come around. Um, some people I know that are starting to have personal experiences themselves, getting their boosters and things have come to me now. And, and so I think most people that I know in their hearts believe me and believe what happened and they don't think I'm making this up. There'd be no reason for me to do that. I have no, no agenda. Um, but I think there were people that disagreed with me speaking out because they felt that that would, you know, make people hesitant to get the vaccine. So that's, I think, where most people disagree. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you telling people it's a dangerous product would make it them hesitant. Hello, isn't that what we want? You know, to me, hesitancy is doing your medical due diligence, you know, and public health is so laser focused on vaccines as the only solution that they're, they're just terrified. They feel like they have to cover up 
anything negative about their solution because they refuse to not acknowledge that there are alternatives. My goodness, there are studies that show if you gargle with Listerine or an iodine solution, that's more effective at preventing and treating COVID than the shots because it literally kills the virus where it's replicating. And if you do the the, the iodine flush in, uh, in your nose, you know, um, and then do the gargling, there, there's a study that shows within five days, they can't find any viral uh, virus that's replicating. You, you know, um, they refuse to acknowledge that. And, and, but this was systemic. This was prior to COVID, the scene was set the um in the anybody critical of any vaccine product um no matter how many shots they got and even if they can were going to be getting more was labeled anti-vaccine because in order to sustain faith in the program you could not talk about injury and when you then bring on products that are not vaccines that are gene therapy call them vaccines but it it already falls into this systemic way of marketing the product. Um, and again, if the if the FDA and CDC, well, first of all, <laughs> if they had acknowledged that they knew what they knew about these products in advance, they never would have authorized them. You never would have gotten them. But if they had decided, even knowing what they know that, you know, and they felt that the number of people injured. I can't even do that, you know, because the, the the solution is not supposed to cause harm. First, do no harm. And there are alternatives. There was just no way that these products should ever been put out there. I'm sorry. <laughs> just around it. So I try to justify, get in their head, but it, it's really hard. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, and, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say when, you know, there's obviously a lot of bullying that goes on online. If someone posts that they're looking for help or looking for others like them, or has anyone else experienced this, experienced this after getting your shot? Um, we get attacked from both sides. We get attacked from the people that said, well, you deserve this. You trusted the government. You're now genetically modified sort of thing. And then you get the other people that say, stop spreading misinformation. Um, you're killing people with your story. And really there's no winning. And I'm, I'm personally documenting all of these with screenshots just so we can put them up on the website and people can see the horrible things that are said to us mm. just for looking for help or trying to share our story. But where I like to come in the middle is just, I don't care what you decide. If you want to get the vaccine, that's great. You need to make your own risk versus benefit analysis. If you decide not to, that's great as well. Our goal is to make sure there is a safety net in place should something go wrong. So I never want to get into the argument with someone about is the vaccine, you know, dangerous or not. Everything's dangerous to some degree for some people. Um, it's their decision what they want to do. I just want people to be protected and be helped, you know, when when yeah. something does go wrong. Yeah. Oh, we're really lacking. Do you guys feel like, let's, let's go through each of you one at a time. So Lindsay, did you... In hindsight, were you given fully informed consent? Oh, I mean, the, the CDC and FDA still refuse to admit that these neurological issues um, due to the Moderna and the Pfizer products exist. So, so no, that would not be informed consent because I was not informed of those, that that was a potential. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, and what did you know about the shot before you got it? 
So to be honest with you, um, I was not vaccine hesitant. Um, I was hearing about the efficacy rate at the time was, they said, 95%. And so I heard that and thought, gosh, you know, I've never had an adverse reaction to any vaccine. And if enough of us get this, again, this was at the time what they were saying, maybe we can end this, you know. So I just, I signed up and got it. Now, in retrospect, in hindsight, I'm like, can't believe I have three kids. I can't believe I didn't do more research, you know. But that's where my head was at the time. And mm-hmm. and I, honestly, I'm floored, flabbergasted that that this happened to me, you know, and, and it did. This is and then and unfortunately I kind of learned the hard way that you, you probably should do your your research and you know, but that yeah. that was my story and, and those kinds of issues are suppressed. So I, I didn't know and I didn't know where to go to get that information. So Right. Yeah, exactly. No, and you know, you're not alone. And all, all you can do is learn your lessons. And I just so admire you for for sharing with others to help them, um, to help everybody moving forward. Um, and then, Rachel, what um, do you what were you told and what did you know about the shop before you got it? So I actually did not get back. Oh, your sister. Oh, you did not. Okay. Um, but for Katie. She, um, I did ask her if she signed any kind of paperwork when she got her shot. Um, she was, she told me that, um, it was just a form saying that she was doing, uh, t- uh, receiving the shot willingly, um, her choice. Um, but that that was all she could recall that was on the paperwork. Um, she waited, uh, at Rite Aid, like I said, for five minutes after her shot and, and then got up and left. Um, she really didn't do, any kind of research on her own. Um, she, you know, heard safe and effective and uh, she has type one diabetes and she was worried that if she got COVID, uh, she wouldn't be able to fight it. Um, and and thought that the vaccine was the best choice for her. Yeah. So again, no fully informed consent. She was not only not fully informed of existing early treatment protocols that no matter what. There's a doctor here in Tennessee, I just love her, Dr. Sibley, who um, is a little, has a little bit of weight issue. Um, How do I say that about my dear friend? Um, But she says, as she presents, that she's a walking comorbidity. (laughs) And, (laughs) and she got through COVID fine with ivermectin, vitamin C, D, zinc, and, you know, and some, the FLCCC protocol. Um, so yeah, so not given informed consent about alternatives, which is what informed consent requires you be told about alternatives to the product and then also be told the truth about the product. And Jen, what about you? No, I I definitely didn't receive inform or give informed consent. I mean, it's looking back on it, once some of the studies came out, I did see that there was a safety signal with appendicitis and I kept thinking if I had known, I mean, think about it. I read medical journals for fun at night and I know what the symptoms of appendicitis are. So when it started happening to me, I rushed to the hospital and they did surgery right away. Anyone else wouldn't have realized that and they would have had a perforated appendix and it could be more of a life-threatening situation. So the fact that they didn't even come out ahead of time and say, this is a possible safety signal. And then all of these other things that in my mind, are safety signals once I've actually seen the study papers. 
informed consent couldn't have been given to any given to anyone. It's, yeah. 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 Well, um, Lindsay, I'll, I'll let you kind of have the last word, if you would, about reminding people where the website is and where they can get information. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for having us. It's been really nice um, talking to you all today. And for your listeners, if anyone is um, unfortunately injured by the COVID-19 vaccine, um, especially if you're injured in Washington State, please reach out to cbiwa.org. But even uh, at any other state, there's resources that we can provide to you as well. That's that's great. Any last words? We got like one more minute from Jen. Yeah, I'd love to say something. So um, if you are vaccine injured, you know, by the COVID vaccine, whatever, or you feel like you are and you're not getting appropriate medical care, you need to advocate for yourself. Uh, you can go to one, two, five, eight doctors, 26 in Pam's case, like she said, Um you'll eventually find someone that's going to believe you and support you. Don't just take no, you know, and, and give up after that first no. I mm-hmm. advocated for myself and it worked out well. And there is hope for recovery. There's doctors that are working on a solution. Mm-hmm. And I really do think there will be a treatment one day. Yeah, I, I I pray there will be, and I believe there will be too, because there's so many great people working on it. And with that, we are out of time. Thank you, gals, for being on the show today, sharing your stories and creating this great organization. Um, we're going to take a break. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM, KKNW and CHD TV. We'll be back in a few minutes. Honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show.
Welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. And with me is Dr. X, Javier Figueroa. Hello, Dr. X. He's there somewhere. (laughs) We, in the second hour, were supposed to be showing a pre-taped interview with the wonderful Kimberly Overton from Nurse Freedom Network. But unfortunately, the video um, did not record properly, so I can't get it to air for you today. I so apologize for that. But I'm going to do my best to convey to you some of the really important information that that Kimberly was going to be bringing you today. So uh, we've got some great information uh, coming, um, a great event coming up. It's going to be here. I'm going to pull it up. So I'm stuttering here. I apologize. There we go. There are two great events coming up in Tennessee. So if you're within driving uh, distance, I hope you will um, consider coming to these or if you feel like flying on out there June 11th and 12th. Um, or if you can't make it, if you would consider uh, giving a donation. So Nurse Freedom Network was founded by Kimberly Overton, a nurse who, amidst all of this COVID, realized that she could not ethically continue in her job because she was being asked to censor herself and not give full information to prospective people uh, about the shots who were thinking of getting it. And rather than continuing on and living a lie and doing what she didn't believe in, she quit and she stepped back from, from that. But she formed the Nurse Freedom Network as a place where nurses can get together and try to regain what nursing is all about and try to regain how to be good nurses in order to protect patients and protect patient rights. So coming up um, on June 11th and 12th, there are two events. Um, The first event on June 11th is from 6 to 9 p.m. And as of yesterday, there were only 20 tickets left to this. It's a fundraising dinner with Dr. Peter McCullough as a keynote speaker. So it's going to be a fantastic event. And uh, it's been a long time. We had Dr. Peter McCullough on this show, but it's been a very long time. He is so outspoken and so brave, talking to so many legislators, speaking at the roundtables with Senator Ron Johnson, um, just doing really good work, risking his career, um, in order to tell the truth and to try to try to save lives. So that is June 11th. And also on June 12th, the next day in Franklin, Tennessee, um, the first one is in Brentwood. These are all around the Nashville area is going to be a great big rally, restoring patient rights and truth in medicine. And there's a fantastic lineup of speakers. Dr. Peter McCullough will be there. The awesome uh, Dr. Paul Merrick, he is such a kind, dear man. Robert Scott Bell, Charlene and Ty Bollinger, Chris Gillespie, Kimberly Overton, who I was just talking about, AJ DePriest. And AJ is that gal that we had on a couple of times, and she was been on the high wire. She's the one who did the deep dive on the federal money going to schools um, that had strings attached that 
made them have to follow CHD guidelines with masking and um, shot requirements, and also um, did a deep dive on hospitals, on the federal money that is incentivizing doing certain protocols over others um, that is leading to great harm to patients. And she's also done a deep dive. I hope to have her on again very soon, looking at some of the rules and um, that were lifted, some patient bill of rights type rules that were lifted by the federal government during COVID um, that left people in the hospital not being fed, not being changed, uh, not given water for long lengths of time. Um, anyway, so she's going to be speaking. Um, we've got Scott Shara, who's, whose daughter was killed in the hospital. Um, I had him on a couple of weeks ago. Ernest Ramirez, who's, um, whose precious son was killed by a first shot of COVID vaccine or first COVID shot. Um, and Nikki Holland, who is severely uh, vaccine injured and more. It just, there, there's a big lineup. So if you can get there and if not, if you can donate to help this great mission, it's the Nurse Freedom Network, nursefreedomnetwork.org. So what is happening in this revolution this health revolution or organizations like Nurse Freedom Network, like COVID vaccine um, injury, injured of Washington, the FLCCC, um, globalcovidsummit.org group of people. There are so, I mean, what I would love to do, Javier, I see you're back, yay. Um, I would love to, to kind of create a list of not only support organizations, but the organizations that are creating a whole new business model, a whole new medical system that is growing up and, um, and help people find it, help us find it. So, because we need to stop feeding the monster, right? Really, it's the medical industry monster. And if if we don't give them their money, if we don't give them their business, we're their cash machines, <laughs> you know, then they either have to reform their ways and start really putting patients first and profit second, um, or they're just going to go out of business. So we need to stay healthy to make all of that happen. So, exactly. yeah. Uh, so Kimberly, if you're listening, I apologize that I I don't know what happened to the recording, but I unfortunately was not able to to do a replay on it, but I'm very excited. I'm going to be there helping out. Um, there's going to be a children's health defense booth and I'll be at the booth. Um, happy to talk to people and give materials. And uh, it's, it's going to be a great event. It's always so important to get together. And every time we get together, more people were bigger, stronger, more information spreads. We get more bolstered and, um, we find new ways to help people and new ways to take action to prevent this ever happening again, right? That's so important. Um, a couple of things, Javier, I wanted to show you and I want to get your reaction to, okay? Because you are a PhD in neurobiology, right? So you know something about 
health and life and death and patterns and statistics and looking at things and what they may mean. So there's a particular, let's see if I can find it here. Not there, not there, not there. There we go. I recently discovered this page and I want to hover on and we will describe it to our radio listeners when I get to the particular graph, all of the graph that I'm looking at this. I'm at usafacts.org looking at the state of the union population page, usafacts.org. So it's a graph that goes from 1985, a little before 1985, all the way over to 2020. And it's got a dark blue line that's all kind of squiggly that goes between 2 million and 3 million up and down, but going kind of straight across, but with some ups and downs. And um, but then in about 2000 and what's that look like there, um, 10 or so, it began to drop. Then there was a little uptick where it went up again in 2015. And then in about 2016 or so, let's see, I can, it's active here. I can say 16. Yes. Yeah. 16. It begins to plummet this line. And then underneath of it is a green line and underneath that is a blue line. And I'll explain what this, this is. So this is about the annual growth rate in the United States of America. So since our founding, um, you know, the, the rate of population grew up and up and up until about the 1960s. And then we yep. began a steady decline. But it was sort of a steady, nat more natural decline that would be from people choosing to have smaller families and, you know, other things, kind of uh, life factors, cultural factors, accounting for um, the, the reduced population. Um, and probably some environmental factors as well with toxins entering the environment. Um, but... This plummet, and what we began to see in the 1980 or 2015-16, what the heck? What is and and why is nobody going like kind of freaking out? This is this is news to me, but again, it's very stark. You start, you go from a high of about two, yeah, two point three million uh, population change to yeah. a catastrophically low three hundred ninety-two thousand population yeah. change. Yeah, and it's usually. And this is all in decline, not an increase. So the, the rate of change, the rate of change has just been plummet. Um, that's a that's a, it's a sheer plummet. And so now the green line represents natural births in in the United States of America. Correct. So they're telling us in 2021 in the United States of America there were only 148,000 babies born. Correct. Wait, wait, wait. No, I'm saying that wrong. Not 140. I'm I'm getting it wrong now. This is the rate of change. So that's why we, I want you to I help see. Me. What, what Sorry, you're absolutely you're seeing 148,043 in 2021. But that's like you said, population growth by component. And this looks to be uh immigration uh population grew by 392,665. Yeah. So, so well, this is this is actually this is actually showing the, the, the change in population. But it still indicates that this has been a decline in the rate right. of growth. 
Yeah. So it are the rate of growth increased by 148,000, but we had been used to a rate of growth of 1,600,000. Exactly. So what will happen here, we're rapidly approaching zero, which would be no growth of population at all, and then heading into the negative. And then what we see is of the 392,000 um, that increased growth, 62% of that was from immigration. Yep. Immigration. And even that, though, is plummeting. The amount of people entering the country is way down. I wonder if they didn't factor in all the people being um, airlifted in and dropped in cities that we keep hearing about. <laughs> I don't know how many those are. Um, anyway, so I just, you know, and you look, this is a fascinating um, webpage to look through. You can see the population change by um, by race or, you know, eth ethnicity or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, I don't care. To me, you know, this is like showing I guess on the surface, to me, it's like whether or not people have blue eyes, green eyes, brown eyes, what does it matter? Um, although probably culturally and politically, um, there are implications of meaning behind the growths and reductions, right? In the change of, um, of the populations there that I have not studied. And then it says that according to preliminary data, the 2021 death rate continued to surpass historical standards at 9.7 deaths per 1,000 people. So, you know, things are looking a little iffy. So if deaths are going up and births are going down, we are soon going to be in a negative um, situation. Correct. Here. Correct. And, and one of the things you have to remember is that this is a combination of both the COVID, uh, the shots, as well as uh, what we're calling a, a significant demographic shift, as well as a 70-year cycle in terms mm -hmm. of population turnover. And I, I hate to use the word population turnover, but you're seeing the first wave of, of the boomers, which are actually a fairly substantially large population group. Reaching mm -hmm. their basically reaching the uh, uh, the maximum lifespan, mm -hmm. and then of course the the eventual uh, uh, leaving of leaving to to other places of the population, mm -hmm. but also the the amount of debt that has been passed on to the younger generation that should be having children at this point and aren't having children at this point because one they can't find jobs, they can't find homes, and they're burdened with. Uh, with such a high degree of, uh, of debt that they can't get out of it. So all these factors are now playing a major yeah. role in limiting how many people, how many babies people want to have. Yeah, that is a big, a big part of it. Um, there's other, another graph um, that I don't have at my fingertips that is in the CDC data that I stumbled upon once because I, it was in today's, uh, lingo rather an old-fashioned term they it was births to unwed mothers and i'm like oh that's interesting they, they're still tracking births right. by whether or not you're married um and but the age uh the uh number of births in 
the older population continued to have like a, a, a steady rise, you know, as time went on, which is natural. But about that same time period, we're seeing the big drop off overall in the population. We're seeing the drop off of births um, in the unwed mothers in just this, it was a particular age group. It was the age group that would have received the HPV vaccine. Now, we don't have big uptakes of this in this country, 40%, 50%, but there has been a massive increase in infertility issues. Um, and it's just very alarming. And the, like 2016, that graph we just looked at where they began to see this just absolute about face decline. Well, young girls getting the shot at the age of 12, 10 years later, um, would have been about this time period, you know, when they might have would have started having children and they're not for what reason. Again, economic, like you're saying, cultural, social, uh, medical. various medical. And then there's the fertility. Mm -hmm. And there's a really good um, video uh, that's going to be highlighted. It's going to be broadcast, premiered. That's the word I'm looking for on CHD coming mm -hmm. up soon. I didn't grab the date. I, forgive me. A couple of days. Check CHD TV and watch for it. It's a documentary film, just a half hour, and it's about infertility. Yep. Um, and it's it's really important. It, there's multi factors. I'm oh, yeah. not saying blame one thing, um, but there are many factors. Yeah, that's interesting because you're not the only one person to note this. Uh, Catherine Austin Fitz from Solari Group, she calls this particular period in American history the Great Poisoning. And yeah. she, she's not referring to just chemical poisoning, but poisoning across multiple spectrums of social, yeah. economical, spiritual, medical, uh, and environmental poisoning that have been mm -hmm. going on. And she contends that, you know, this is not accidental. It's, it's yeah. by design. And it could be, you know, by design by many different uh, purposes, just to make money, uh, just to pr try to get people into other products. The IVF uh, clinics that, you know, have, are in a growth phase right now with people wanting to have children, but they can't. So it's, it's becoming yeah. multifaceted, to say the least. Oh, to say the least. And, and yeah, let, let's, let's go ahead and go there. Let's show one of the main drivers of what's happening here with this sickening of the world population. Um, and let's see, where do I have that right? Here it is. So Fierce Pharma comes out regularly with top sales products. Um, Fierce Pharma is, I recommend everybody subscribe to FiercePharma.com. It's an insider's magazine. You're going to get the full scoop on um, the drug industry. And it's really interesting to hear their presentation, how they talk about things, because this, your health or your illness is big business, massive, the big, biggest business on the planet. So number one in 21, 2021, the biggest sales product was Pfizer and BioNTech's COVID shot, Comirnaty, um, although it, the sales didn't happen under commodity name, right? The sales um, happened under the um, under the EUA 
one, which is all that's still available in the U.S., but 36.8 billion. They they top it. It can be really interesting. I encourage people to go find this particular article and then read the write up, you know, and you get that insiders and little scoop about what might happen. It's it's crazy. Um, and then number two, Humera by Abvi sales in 2021 of 20.7. Now this is for autoimmune diseases, rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, psoriasis. Uh, uh, this is huge money, autoimmune disorders. And of course, environmental exposures, including vaccination can lead to these autoimmune disorders. We live in a very polluted planet there. And then the next number three, Spike Vax by Moderna. So they made, uh-oh, is it not sharing? Let's see. Oh, you aren't being able to see it. Let's see. Nathan, thank you. Awesome, Nathan, thank you. Um, so there's Spike Facts by Moderna, 17.7 billion. Um, yeah, just that name. <laughs> but, you know, at least they named it for what it was. It's a Spike Vax. And Spike is... Uh, it's a pathogen. It's manufactured in a lab. It's a biological weapon. Okay, there we mm -hmm. go. Bernadette said it. <laughs> okay, next is Kytruda, Kytruda, however you pronounce that. Kytruda. Yeah. Merkin Company, uh, 17.2 billion in one year. These are one year sales, people. And this is for cancer. Cancer is big business. If you think that the cancer industry wants to cure cancer. Just look at the numbers of these best-selling products. And this is just the tip of the iceberg of the money to be made in, um, in cancer. Eliquis, 16.7 billion. Okay, we've got atrial fibrillation, deep vein thrombosis, and pulmonary embolism. Do you think a lot of people will be more people buying this? Oh, yes. Um, because of the because of the number one bestseller and the number two yep. bestseller, yep. yeah, me too. We've got Rev Limit by Bristol Myers Squibb, twelve point eight billion. That's for cancers. We've got Imbruvica from Abby Johnson Johnson, nine point eight billion. More cancer drugs. We've got Stellara Johnson and Johnson for autoimmune diseases like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, that's 9.1 billion. Ilea, it's from Regeneron, 8.9 billion. Macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, edema. I believe those are autoimmune disorders. Do you know? So that was for macular degeneration and they're still trying to understand where or why. What causes it? What okay. causes this? But okay. there are there are other treatments, and it's it's been how can I put it? It's been one of the uh, most difficult to treat eye disorders out there. Okay, uh, and it's still not that good. Okay, yeah. yeah. Then we've got Big Tarvi Gilead Sciences. This is for HIV. Everybody, please read uh, the Real Anthony Fauci by Robert F Kennedy Jr. Uh, to learn about HIV and the power and money behind that. Um, here, I'll go a little more quickly. We don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but Optivo by Bristol Myers, 8.5 billion, more cancer drugs. Xarelto, 
uh, atrial fibrillation, deep vein thrombosis, uh, 7.5 billion. Regeneron um, for Regen, this is monoclonal antibody for COVID-19. They had 7.5 billion in sales. Trulicity, diabetes, cardiovascular. Anyway, we just keep going. I'll go down to what number is remdesivir is. Oh, look at Gardasil. Yeah, they, you know, they always claim, oh, we don't make any money on the pediatric vaccines, but five, it's the top 20 in the world for 2021. They made 5.7 billion and they're projecting even much higher. They're moving, I believe, into China now, the China market. So they'll be doing good there. Um, let's see, Remdesivir might have been at the very, oh, there it is, number 19. It's called Vecluri is the their name for it, but that's the Remdesivir that's killing patients in the hospital. Uh, they had sales of 5.6 billion in 2021. And last on the list was... Um, uh, a breast cancer drug by Pfizer, $5.4 billion. So that sort of money, just 20 products, all that money on 20 products, and they're either um, shots injected to prevent disease or drugs to treat cancer or autoimmune disorders. It's, and you think of all the doctors and the scientists and the nurses and the hospitals and the clinics and the testing, <laughs> this is a huge, huge industry. It so, yeah, and a lot of those products lead to infertility, Correct. lead to difficulties. Yeah, and one of the things I've mentioned before on this show is there are studies that show that um, hyperimmunization to the tetanus vaccine can lead to antiphospholipid syndrome, which is a blood clotting. It's an autoimmune blood clotting disorder. It's one of the leading causes of infertility in the U.S. today. But it's not well known that the tetanus vaccine has this association. You know, there's been very few, and of course, there's no money in looking at doing this. But because it's all, always given with the pertussis vaccine, it's in the Tdap and the DTAP that's given to children, um, and because the pertussis part of that shot has failed so utterly, they're now given children six doses by the sixth grade, by the time they're 12 years old. That means six doses of tetanus. So how many girls are we potentially making infertile by not paying attention to the over-vaccination with tetanus? Oh, but it's still safe and effective. I mean, yeah. <laughs> don't worry about it. Yeah. It's okay. I mean, and anyways, we wanted to depopulate the planet. Yeah, we want to depopulate the planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, there. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna go on over to some good news. So I want to talk to you a little bit about. Do you know who David Martin is? Yeah, I followed uh, Dr. Martin uh, quite a bit, and his latest work on uh, looking at uh, the uh, uh, Code of Federal Regulations and what mm -hmm. can be done to pursue a case against all these agencies is incredible. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to go to, there's a lawsuit that he has jo joined in with that I want to talk about, but I wanted to, <clears throat> let's see if it'll share here, tell you a little bit about who Doc he is. He's a, I believe he's a PhD. 
Um, oh, his bio is way too long. Go look up, look him up, people. David Martin dot world. Uh, David Martin dot world. And you can read all about uh, David Martin. But yes. what I want to show you is this lawsuit. Yes. Yeah. So that is pretty cool because we're going to try to focus on positivity here. See, take action. I've got too many tabs open here, Javier. Um, prosecute now. Yep. That's what it's called. It's called. Here we go. Prosecute now. Are you seeing that? We, the people? Maybe no, not it'll be yet. there in just it's not a showing second. up yet. Yeah. So let's see if we can show up. I don't know if Nathan does something on his end, but. Uh, there we go. Thank you. So we, the people, and I'm going to go, do, 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 do. there we go. It's time to demand our elected officials appoint special prosecutors to investigate criminal behavior by our elected and appointed officials, Dr. Yes. David Martin. So this awesome group um, is associated with uh, Leslie Manukian. Um, it was she and her group health freedom. I can't remember the full name, but um, that won the major lawsuit to take masks off of public transportation, yep. get them off of airplanes. And there's a really good, interesting, just 11 minute video that he has. I'm not going to play it for us today. It's really powerful. It's all truth, but I'm not sure about sharing it on the radio just yet um, because you know, Javier, how, how things have gone. If you say things too early, you get deplatformed. Right. But if you wait long enough, everything catches up. Um, but you do have to have people wait in to see, is it time, you know, who, who test the waters as it were to see, is it time we're getting, I think really close and, you know, maybe in future weeks I'll be playing that little video, but he pulls no punches. He just says what's really happening. Go ahead. Do, do you mind if I give a little uh, talk on, this is a sub, uh, a little section that uh, Dr. Martin um, discussing uh, the, uh, the, the law under 21 code of federal regulations, section 50.23 and 24 exception from general requirements it is illegal to make a, anybody participate in an experimental program using coercion. And Dr. Martin basically says that is, in fact, how we actually embrace in U.S. law the Nuremberg Code. So that's mm -hmm. important. So coercion is illegal, and we do call it coercion. We don't want to call it leverage. We don't want to call it pressure. We want to call it, it, it the legal act that it is. It's coercion. And that becomes important because under U.S. Code Section 2331, and subsection 802, inside of the definition of domestic terrorism is any time a U.S. citizen or government in the U.S. is forced to do something that it would not otherwise do, that's not only coercion, but it is domestic terrorism. Wow. Now, yes. this, now, this conversation yeah. and every other conversation, I encourage people to, in fact, take those two laws, and when they are met with somebody telling them that they're supposed to get the shot, actually ask the person and record this, use your phone, use a recording device, and ask if they are, in fact, violating 21 Code of Federal Regulations, Section 50.23 and point twenty four, and ask them, are you interested in doing a civil violation of the law? <laughs> and I can go on and on and on, but basically he's, he's, yeah. he's using the law to say, call it what it is, coercion. This is not, and that's why, that's why it's, that's why they, and this is another part of the conversation we had earlier today, that's why they had people sign saying, I take this out of, you know, 
willingly, I willingly. Yeah. because that way again did you did you get read your did you have informed consent no but i took it willingly that's all yeah. they need that's all they need um and yet i even then i wonder if he, if in a court of law you could say um you know my boss told me i had to get it i was offered a 200 dollar mm -hmm. gift certificate and a free donut and a cup of coffee yep. and so i thought what the heck i want to keep my job and i do like donuts so i did sign the form saying willingly but here's the thing nobody told me blah 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 blah, blah all the things that they knew you right. know so um can you really call it can you really claim when you when these people say they took it willingly that they did so under honest circumstances. No, no, no absolutely, absolutely not. not. Absolutely no. not. And more importantly, and I think this is an important feature that I think Dr. Martins and other folks have talked about, this, what, what's coming out, this is probably one of the largest scale frauds ever committed upon the public of the United States. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And again, one of the cardinal rules of contract law is that fraud vitiates all contracts. Yes, and it even does with the PREP Act. The PREP Act, it says, you know, it covers everything, even, you know, incompetence, but it yes. doesn't, it doesn't cover fraud. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, if, so <laughs> if, if fraud is proven, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, and AstraZeneca are liable for the entirety plus damages. And so, though, are all those officials. Correct. Who who knowingly, and I'm talking like the the people at the FDA and CDC who know the information that we had to get via FOIA mm -hmm. about the truth of these products. Well, they knew. You remember um, on our website, probably two years ago now, um, at one of the VRBAC meetings, the Vaccine and Related yes. Biological meetings, just prior to them authorizing EUA, there was somebody from the CDC and somebody from the FDA mm -hmm. presenting to this committee. And they both very quickly said, um, yeah, there's some um, adverse events of special interests we're going to be watching for. They flashed up a slide and took it right down. You could not yep. see it. They just yep. zipped right back. We're not going to linger right here. We'll just go on, blah, blah, blah. Well, when you go, I've got it posted on our website. So they knew. They knew to look for all of these things. And I said, as I said in the last hour, did the general public, were they sent that list? No. Nope. Were ER doctors sent that list? No. Nope. Were any doctors or any nurses or anybody, medics, first aid, first responders, anybody sent that list? No. People showed up at these locations with these injuries that the CDC and FDA claimed they wanted to look for. Yep. And they were told, no, no, no. Anaphylaxis is the only thing we're watching for. That's not, that's not vaccine related, right? And yeah, so those people we need to be held accountable. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and share that file again or that web page. Why do I have trouble? Prosecute now. Prosecute now. <laughs> The website is prosecutenow.com. So what you can do, though, is you can help. Um, it says there's a page where you can go and it says, to begin, select or type the state that you live in. Well, I'm in Tennessee, so let's click that. 
So what I can do, did it switch over there to the next image? Oh, good, yeah. it did. Okay. Um, oh, fooey, I lost it again. I apologize for this. So oh, where did it go? Prosecute now. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So it tells you, takes you steps you can tap. Step one, um, proceed. You're going to demand, say, deceptive practices. I demand you appoint a special prosecutor to investigate the violations of the Deceptive Practices Act. And what's step two? Proceed. You're going to have a bioweapon demand letter, antitrust and restraint trade crimes letter proceed. Okay, anyway, I haven't figured out how to use this website yet, so I apologize. So, but I'm gonna figure out how to use it. I encourage you to figure out how to use it. I'm not sure if it's one of those things, maybe next week, um, Javier. Oh, you're not gonna be with me next week. Unfortunately, I'll be out of state. Okay, well, if you figure out how this works before I do, let me know. Okay. <laughs> We need to we need to all jump jump on this um, and see what you know get on board because the evidence is there. Yes, all this of it. is this is basically the lawsuit says and that COVID nineteen is an engineered bio lab. Correct weapon weapon. It's a weapon. It was a weapon. It circulated. It harmed people. There was collusion <laughs> to. Um, suppress origins, collusion to suppress early treatments, good treatments, collusion to um, to get the those highly profitable, the top 20 things that I just listed. And yes. what, five of them, I believe, were specifically COVID related um, to let those people, you know, start raking in the dough. And then all the people making masks and PCR tests. I mean, the money collusion all the way around and to lie to the public about these products. And so it's time to put it into this and then totally reform public health. So this, this absolutely never happens again. The trust is gone. It's there is gone. no trust. There is no trust in public health at this there point. Is no trust. And, it, and it's sad because there are some aspects of public health that they, they do well, or they did do well. I think in many aspects, public health does well with ensuring we have safe drinking water. Yes. They would just stop the fluoride already, right? Yeah. Well, and again, and let's, let's, I know that a lot of people will be like, fluoride, it's safe. It's not. It's a neurotoxin. <laughs> a neurotoxin. It's, it's a known neurotoxin. You shouldn't use it in drinking water. There's other methods, but one, it's cheap and subsidized, and it's a great way to, grid, uh, to get rid of mining and chemical waste. Yeah. Give it to people. Give it to people. Yeah. Like they do now putting um, human waste sludge on farms. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's a it's a great way to get rid of a, a bad product that right. you otherwise would have to pay a lot of money to try to clean up. Um, you know, and there's other things, but it, it feels like now, I mean, you know, anytime you enter a realm where there's money to be made, like with pharmaceuticals, it's nonsense. We need to get our government and public health completely out of the vaccine and any pharmaceutical indus industry. This it's, it should be between you and your doctor. That's it. Get the government exactly out of there as far as public health. But then they, they try to be parent to all every aspect of health. They're wanting to spend a lot of money to tell you how to eat, how to drink, how to do everything. Really? Is that what our government is for? It, it it's just, and then they want to control you through it. It just, mm -hmm. oh, 
yeah, no, among it's, my, among it's flipped on it's flipped on its head. The, the government is there to protect your rights yeah. and uphold those rights. It's not there to cater to the needs of every single constituent group. And that's that's unfortunately what it's become now. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything in the news recently, Javier, that that you wanted to discuss today that's been out? Oh, so much. But uh, <laughs> um, at the same time, it's, uh, you know, the, there's a there's been a shift in the narrative to where they're not looking so much at COVID. And now they're trying to push this monkeypox. Uh, uh, yeah. Spread. And one of the things that I just need to let people know is that monkeypox or any sort of uh, vaccinia or um, uh, pox virus, uh, orthopox viruses or any of those uh, viruses, they're transmitted by touch. So these are not transmissible through, uh, you know, uh, aerosols or fomites or anything like that. It's actual touch. So it's it's not a rapidly spreading disease. It mm-hmm. has it's it's not associated with a high degree of mortality or even morbidity, except that you know you do you do show pockmarks, and it's it's controllable if you wash your hands and just you know practice common sense. Yeah. This is not the next great plague, and they're trying to push it as it is. And yeah. COVID was not the next great plague because yeah. our medical system was basically co-opted to not treat people as they would have normally treated people. It was a plague of intentional, I guess, inept, because um, inept care of a disease and of a, you know, biological weapon released upon us. Because I remember some of those heart-wrenching videos of ER doctors, um, ICU doctors in New York, who went on YouTube and said, the vents aren't working. Right. It's like it's like they've got mountain sickness here. This is the wrong approach. And they were the pleading. Yes. Yeah. To don't do this approach. We've got to try other things. And then it was it was spring of 2020, the FLCC all got, you know, those yeah. great doctors got together. And immediately it's like, okay, what are we going to do? We know how to treat this symptom, this symptom, and this symptom. Let's begin treating the symptoms. You know, let's treat what we're seeing, not what we think we should be seeing. Let's Correct. treat what's there and what it reacts to. And and of course that got censored. So really we we had an epidemic of um iatrogenic injury, as it were. Iatrogenic means by medical by practice, medicine. harmed by yep. medicine. Correct. Yeah. And um anyway, on my soapbox and then I was really alarmed, Javier. There's been so many really huge campaigns with huge numbers of people participating, telling the FDA, do not authorize, do not give emergency use authorize, authorization to, to Pfizer or Moderna right. for children five and under. Well, we said, well, we said any children. Now we say any for nobody, children. right? Yeah. Um, they haven't voted on it yet. The votes are coming up, I believe, sometime next week. But the White House is predicting that FDA is going to approve it. And they've already got everything in place. Of course. All the guns loaded, ready to pull the trigger. And they said, gosh, by June 21st, these little tykes are going to be able to get the shot. It's really alarming. The, The good news is, is the younger the age group, Right now, even those who can get it, the fewer parents are choosing to get it. We know that some parents will choose, but um, I heard a prediction today that um, I think it was Alex Berenson was interviewed on the radio, and yeah. he he felt it would be less than one percent. Yes, and right, right now, 
Yeah. Well, less just, than 10%, I mean. Less than 10%. But here's the thing, I've heard, I've heard estimates in some analyses, you know, they're basically saying that over 70% of the United States is uh, vaccinated either with uh, two doses and, and boosters. And it looks like um, it's actually much less than 50% of the United States has received any vaccination mm. at all. Mm-hmm. And and 25%, the newest analysis shows that 25% of all military members have refused to take the vaccine. Wow. Good for them. So, so That's this hard is to do. It's hard to do. But again, it just goes to show that people are very much aware of what's going on. They can see the damage. And again, if FDA and CDC want to dig their own graves on this, go right ahead. This is not, this is, if that's the hill they want to die on, that's the hill that they will die on, unfortunately. It it really does seem like it's so bad that how, I mean, how do we even begin to back away from this? You can't. How do you apologize for this? I, you know, it's an atrocity beyond anything ever seen um, before. And I just, you know, I pray for the babies. I pray for the children. I pray for the parents because some parents are in that place of fear and they're surrounded by the propaganda and they're going to make this choice. And I just, and it's some people that I know and love and I just ache for them because, you know, anybody who does get it is in that place where they believe it's the right thing to do. And I'm not going to judge them. I'm judging the people who know better pushing the propaganda on them. Um, But any doctor still now given the shot who doesn't believe in them? No, 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 Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, And that, by the way, where was that? I had, did I? Yeah, I've known doctors that have left the state of Washington. Mm Mm-hmm that basically said, I can't work in this environment anymore. And I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be um, bullied into prescribing something. I don't, I don't believe will help. And I'm required to by my administrator again, in direct violation of so many federal and state laws about interference with the doctor's ability to prescribe and treat patients. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's, um, that's, that's exactly what, you know, what is driving some very good doctors out of practice and uh, other doctors, unfortunately, are having to, you know, uh, compromise part of their, part, all of their integrity. This is not part of the integrity. They're, they have to compromise their integrity to stay in, 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 the, in the practice. Yeah, no, you don't. The only reason to get or give a medical intervention is out of medical necessity. And nothing else should matter. Nothing 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 else. else. No coercion like you talked about. And and those those two federal codes that you cited that David Martin Mm -hmm. is um, is using for this this lawsuit. Yes. You you quoted the University of Washington, I believe. Were those two in the letter open letters you wrote to UW? You know, I don't remember that they were. It was basically 21 U.S. Code Section 360 BBB 3A. Oh, and it goes on for a bit. But basically, that at the time, uh, this it was still under EUA, so everyone had the absolute right uh, to decline their use without having to suffer any consequences. And again, as stated in the law, those consequences basically mean you're willing to take on the risk of being exposed to pa- the pathogen, the 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 whatever is out there, knowingly and full well, and you can decline. 
This is a completely different set of federal regulations that basically look into coercion in a medical experiment. And yeah. legally, we're still under a medical experiment. The FDA mm -hmm. has not finished, or at least Pfizer has not finished any of its phase three studies. Moderna has not finished any of its phase three studies. And they cannot finish them. They unblinded them, therefore they cannot finish them. It's already it, violated a tenant in, in clinical yeah. trials. The yeah. moment you do that, that's the end of it. And it's a failure. Yeah. yeah. And then also coming sometime this month, sometime in June, the FDA is going to consider or, uh, authorizing future COVID shots with zero clinical trials. So just like influenza. <laughs> just like the, like the flu each year. Because they're supposedly going to develop it so rapidly and it's going to be needed right now. And because the parent shot is so safe and effective. So I know, I mean, really, are we having a real conversation? Is We're this not. really happening? This just, I, it's just, my, you have to laugh, even though it's a serious life-threatening thing. Before you jump on to the next part, Dr. Martin and Dr. Malone have basically said, this is a genetic therapy. It's a minimum of 15 years of clinical trial research yeah. before FDA can consider even approving it. Yeah. That's stated in their yeah. protocols and basically their, uh, uh, their regulations. So they're, yeah. they're even violating their own regulations by doing this. Did you hear that there is this um, awesome whistleblower who was um, helping run some of the clinical trials for Pfizer. I forget yes. her name. Yeah. Do you remember yeah, her name? Down in Texas. Um, yeah. Well, she, um, you know, they filed this lawsuit um, against Pfizer and mm -hmm. Pfizer is asking for, what do you call that when you want to, um, you know, stop the trial? Oh, say, the, uh, basically, um, <laughs> See, listen to us. It's, a, it's late uh, in the day for me, and I can't find day, my yeah. words. But uh, miss, not a mistrial, but uh, anyway, just have it pulled. Like it, it, their reasoning is that they were manufacturing these under a whole different set of rules that didn't require them to follow standard practices. Doesn't matter. That that's what they're claiming. They're claiming that we were under a contract that said that we that. Actually, and it was like a prototype contract, right. a prototype. You don't give a prototype to every citizen of the United States, the world. Hello. No. And, and they said, so, it, you know, even if you were even if you're right about what you're saying we did, it doesn't matter because we didn't have to follow any of those safety practices. So so where does safe and effective come from? Yeah, it's I not don't a know. Legal yeah. term at that point. This is yeah. amazing that they actually even admitted that in a court document. I know that's it's really it's the lamest it's excuse I ever heard. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it. Oh my yeah. god, <laughs> that 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 is yeah. mind blowing that they actually even stated that that we didn't follow even the most the we did this because it was a prototype and we're going to give it to millions of people. Yeah, that it's yeah whatever. <laughs> yeah, here go drive the prototype. Yeah, that always works. Um, yeah. Anyway, and then another thing that was in the news. Oh, it looks like we've only got a couple more. Uh, like one, two more minutes. Two more minutes. Yeah. Um, there was a sting operation done, I believe, in Spain. Do you hear about that? Where 
the gov—I don't know if it was a government, government agency, something—but they they had a sting operation that found this group selling fake vaccine vaccine passports. Yes, and they were selling them to high-profile individuals, sports players, yes. you know, different. Um, different people who, in order to continue to do their high profile job, needed yes. to show they had the <clears throat> job. And even the head of a big pharmaceutical company um, paid $200,000 for this yes. fake ID. So that just shows you if people are willing to pay that much money to avoid the shot, people who know or in the know, I wonder how many um, fake passports there are out there. I wonder how many of these shots actually did not go into arms, but went into the sink or went somewhere else. More than people realize, more than people want to admit. And again, yeah. the fact of the matter is that even those vaccine cards, I don't even know how legal they actually are. Oh, none of this is legal. <laughs> so, well, thank you. And thank you for, yeah, that's a good point. None of yeah. this is legal in the least. And it's been, no. it's bypassed every single fail safe that we've established for a minimum set of requirements. Yeah. And they've just been blown completely out. Blown completely out. I agree. Yeah. You know, but let's leave our listeners and viewers on a happy note, Javier. Dr. X, you know? All right, let's do this. Let's do this. I believe in the human spirit. Yes. I believe good is stronger than evil. Absolutely. Right? And um I believe if we just breathe deeply, connect with the earth, walk barefoot out in the grass. Yes. Listen to your inner self. Yes. Reconnect with your spiritual self. Yes. Um, have the courage to stand up because once you do, standing up is what takes the courage. Once you're up, you think, why didn't I do this before? It's right. wonderful. Oh. It's wonderful. It's, it's so liberating. It's infectious. It's infectious. Yes. In a good way. A so good way. be brave, be kind, have a lot of grace for people who are a little bit behind us on this journey. Um any last words here, Javier? He's not playing our music yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say that keep on doing what you're doing. Keep on waking up. Some people, like you said, wake up at different times. But yeah. Once you do, don't stand on the sidelines. Get involved. Do anything. Say what you need to say. Stand in yeah. your truth. And in the end, we'll win. Yes, truth wins. Take care of it. Had a good weekend. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We'll see you next week. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation 
and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.